Welcome to Business and Investing with Grant and Charlie, where we are enhancing your complete set of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Charlie, today I'm wearing a polo. And there are two reasons I'm wearing a polo. Can you guess the first one? Is it because people should listen to our other podcast, Property and Investing? Damn straight. Just what if that was not it, but I'll go with it. If you're listening to this and you're like, Charlie, Grant, geez, you talk about property. And I love it and I need more of it. We have done you a solid. We have done you a great solid. We've actually come out with a new podcast called Property and Investing. Not to be confused with business and investing. That's not a confusing at all. Just put it out there. I am a great domain buyer and business name comer upper. So if you need any help, love more. Wait, wait. Is that the real reason we change our brand name so many times? Anyway, and the second reason is once you told me that I look good in Apollo. I will say you're actually bringing, bringing your right game. So Bring some style. Just to reiterate, we've got a second podcast, Property and Investing. You should head over there. And yes, the URL is very easy. If you want to subscribe to that, it's propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. <laughs> Damn, we're predictable. This is amazing. Charlie. No way. You can't say this intro is predictable. This has to be the least predictable <laughs> intros on shows like- ever. I don't think anyone could listen to our podcast and go, oh, I know what they're going to say on the next <laughs> intro. Well, no, I'm, I meant our branding is predictable. Well, whatever. Got to have some dist- stability, right? Some stability. It's Charlie here from Business and Investing. And I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Business and Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personal or specific financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when you are making investment decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Grant. Today, we've been sent a question from a fan. So before we go any further, I will mention that if you are in the Facebook group or on the newsletter and you do reply or leave a post in the group, if we feel it is a good question, we will bring it on the show and discuss it uh, in more depth and detail. And this one was a great one. So this one's from Avril and she's asked us, if you had your time again, what would you do differently? Now, Everything. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Have you ever spent time thinking about this prior to this question, Grant? So I would love to say yes. It's one of those things that I drummed it into the back of my head very fiercely at some point, which is like you can't change the past, so like don't dwell on it. And so I looked back at this and I'm like, well, I just I am where I am now. It doesn't you don't need to dwell on it, and you can only make the best decisions, but with the information you have right now. And so I barreled forwards very fiercely doing that until a couple of years ago, a mentor said to me, like, well, you should probably look back at least the last 12 months to try and take some lessons and just go, what should I not do different? And so I would love to say yes, but it was a no. And then it started to. Yeah. See, I absolutely used to be one of those people that like used to dwell on things a bit. And you seem then, like a dweller. Yeah. Like a, what is it? A worry wart? Yeah. And then over time, I, I did some training and they're like, well, you know, everything's on the way, not in the way, and you'll find that your failures lead to your success. And then after you have a few big wins, you kind of realize that. So, yeah. for example, it's like, uh, you know, at one point in my life, like the dream was to be a plumber. But it was only, you know, when that um, didn't go as planned and turned into a bit of a failure that led to me going into business. So, the failures paved the way to success. Or when I was doing websites and it didn't go well, that pushed me into doing ads. 
So again, painful experiences leading the way. But I'll just mention quickly here, I did do a good amount of Google searching to see how far off we are time travel. Just to see, it's like, oh, maybe I can be a dweller. Maybe there will be the opportunity to come back around here with this. <laughs> what, is, what did they say? Oh, I, come on, five years. Five man, years. it only takes a couple of searches before you get to lizard people once you're down that <gasps> bandwagon. My greatest. You find in my articles, Charlie. <laughs> well, do, you, do you know the point they kept coming to on this one that made me question is like, if someone sold this, why would they share it with you? And I was like, that is a good point. <laughs> Oh, what is it? Money solves all problems. But I'm actually, no, you screw it. Would you go back in time if you could? No. Interesting. I reckon I would. I just reiterate, just continually improve myself and just like play Groundhog Day with my life just forever. Just iterative, iterative games. I feel like if you went back in time and, and changed something, right, it would change so many other things that you would realize that like the whole butterfly effect thing. Totally. So you go back in time with your tax lotto numbers or your lottery numbers, you win, to, you win the lotto and then it's like, oh, you don't meet Hazel. And then it's like, oh, I like that bit. But I feel, but I feel like that's a bit of a farce, right? Because you just go back one second before you made the stuff up that ruined everything else. <laughs> and you just keep going back like just that. that yeah, but you can see this problem. becomes the game, right? You just keep going back. <laughs> totally. And it's like, well, eventually you've ruined your life from time travel. Which like, doesn't that happen in all the movies? Like. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's fair. I was like, well, in that case, I'll just end up where I am now anyway. So, <laughs> No, I'm very grateful for my life and I feel like we should both be when you look at it in the scale of things and I suspect everyone listening to this show is like if you look to what goes on in many parts of the world and the things we get to do in business or the activities we get to be involved in, or the people we get to hang out with or the things we get to build in business, I think a bit more gratitude would go a long way for all of us. It's totally. a really, really special thing. But I will keep this episode on point and we'll come back around to it because I know you have come up with some doozies on this one, which I love as topics. So, Grant, I'm going to leave this one off. If you could have your time again, what would you do differently? And don't pull one of those, oh, nothing things. Nothing. I'm very grateful for where I am, Charlie. Like, I would not change a single thing. The, no, the we're speculating. No, totally. Uh, so, <laughs> it was funny. When I read this question, my mind went back and it says, like, what were the biggest things that cause you pain in life. And I'm like, oh, I, I know these way too well, Charlie. And I'm like, and here's my prep in five minutes. So the very first thing that, that I got drummed into me, and I, I don't know, you might've had the same thing, was always reinvest back in your business, right? So make money and then reinvest back in team, back in product, back in like marketing, and just continually reinvest and continue to try and grow the business just repetitively over and over and over again. I will take it even further than that. I don't even mean just reinvestment of capital, time as well, like Every all of it. Everything you have for a good duration of time into this, that is your life. Totally that is the like, common wisdom. Or what do you com- I'll say about? common consensus. I won't say wisdom. Well, because that is if you look at all the books, read the whatever you read – it will all say like the value comes from things that you put the most effort in. So you put most effort and time and money into it and it will be the, the greatest thing only to be where I am today and reflect back on it, Charlie, and say, that is total bullshit. <laughs> that is not true at all. And I'll tell you why. Let me just unpeel this. All my problems started when I kept looking into my business for things that I can continue to reinvest my time, reinvest my money, when in actual fact, Charlie, I probably just should have let it run at 
and do its own thing. It didn't need more time. It didn't need more money. It probably would have just continued being as profitable as it was. No, it probably would have continued being profitable where I could have taken money out. And guess what? Actually invested the fucking money somewhere. <laughs> and so the problem that I had was that all my mentors and everything around me just kept saying, put more chips, more everything into the business. When in actual fact, the business was completely fine. More money and more time was not actually going to make it grow faster. If anything, all I did was break things that were working by throwing money at things that weren't even problems. And if I just had have accepted taking that money myself and just going, great, this thing's optimized and is working quite well. The better question was, what do I actually do with the money that I have? Which now in hindsight, the answer is maybe just invest it in something outside of the business, Grant, just outside of the business. So I'm throwing it out there. That was my biggest biggest kind of regret slash if I had my time again, that's what I would have done. This is a fascinating insight, a really fascinating one. <laughs> a scary one. Slaying some sacred cows today, it appears. I like it. This is, this is just getting started. It's a difficult one to argue with, right, because it worked. Clearly, we're still in business. We both did this. We put everything into business for a duration of time and then things turned out well. But you can definitely see the opportunity cost in what was done in that way and very directly when you start to measure, well, if I didn't over-invest in my business at this stage and invested outside of it, where would I be today in a comparison? But it seems to me in your analogy, like the, the way I kind of think about it is imagine you bought a, a house to renovate and sell, but you just completely over-renovated it. Dude, I'm like, putting $500 light fixtures in. I'm putting like the greatest tiles. No one knows the difference between these $1,000 tiles versus 10 buck tiles. And I'm just like doling this thing up to the hilt where the ROI is like just not there. Well, that's the point. But how do you have awareness to this? Because if everyone around you in business is saying, well, this is just the way, this is just the way, this is just the way, but then, you know, the true pro renovators know, well, actually you only need to put in the $20 light fitting in this house, not to the, the 2000 Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the skill judgment, isn't it? But it, and it, it's funny, I've thought about this quite a lot and especially now at the stage that I'm at in, in both business and investing, um, and you and I have spoken about this a bit, it's almost like sometimes the best advice is just to let, let it run. Like, as a matter of fact, you being spending more time in the business or putting more time into the investments is actually not going to produce a better return. If anything, you're actually going to stuff it up. Yeah, and we we're talking about But how hard week. is that to do, right? If, you're, if you live in a world where like more time and more capital produces more result. Like that's your mindset. All right, I'm just going to spend more on my business. I'm going to spend more time on my business. And you think that's going to lead to a better place because it does in so many other areas of our life. You bring that thinking into it, not realizing that that's not true at all. Like time and money are not connected in business at all. Can I, can I just add one more layer to this? Oh, it's <laughs> your this, point. This, you can add two <laughs> more layers if you'd like. So this, this is what then killed me. So later on in my years... I then started to vet and evaluate the people that I get advice and insights from, Charlie. And to which the books that I had read that were like reinvest back into your business, guess how much they had invested in property and other things, Charlie, outside of business? Bugger all. What about the people that I knew face-to-face that were like mentors of mine? Do you know how much money or what percent of their net worth was in assets outside of their business, Charlie? Uh, Bugger all. (laughs) Then I'm really shocked where this advice came from, Grant. So, so I'm like, what did I expect? So I'm, like, I just, I'm talking to like business addicts 
which is like, we'll just do more and invest more in the business because the only way to be successful is through business. And I'm like, yeah, I'm totally on this as opposed to going and talking to people who are like, man, like business is just a way to generate cash to go and invest outside of your business. And I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. But yes. so I really question sometimes there's people that are good at things. This is a, a side tangent. I'm not actually talking about today's topic at all now. But let, let's pretend, uh, you know, there's something that someone wants to be good at. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on Gary V on this one. Although I love you, Gary. I do love you, Gary. This isn't directed at you. But it's like I see people that are like, oh, Gary Vee's really good at content. I'm going to do what Gary does at content and like go for this mass approach. But then their goal is to be like Tim Ferriss and work the four-hour work week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So, and like, it's like, work. all right, well, Gary's good at content. It's like, yeah, but Gary works a lot of hours, right? So if you want to be good at content like Gary, you got to kind of put in those hours, right? Where if you look at someone like Tim Ferriss, who is a really good content producer as well, I must say, like excellent content producer, but you would – probably see a huge difference in like results in lifestyle just with their approach like tim clearly is more like lifestyle first in this example which is why i use this example so it's like well if you want to be great at content but you want to have a lifestyle that is more let's say work four hours a week follow tim's method but if you want to you know be full on gary which for those that do good on you respect points but it's like well then maybe you follow the gary method the confliction between that without thinking through the second order consequences just lethal. Absolutely lethal. So there you go. And I'll, I'm going to put a bow on this one, Charlie. All my problems started out as a good idea. <laughs> At the time, it was the greatest idea ever. I'm like, how does, how does that seem illogical? It doesn't. Less is absorbing. What about you, Charlie? Let's, uh, let's change the spotlight for me because the, the pain's cutting deep. What about you? I'm curious. If you had your time again, what would you do differently? I'm going to say something very controversial. Let's keep slaying these sacred cows. <laughs> All right. Go, go, go. All right. When I started in business, I think the biggest mistake I made and what I would do differently is starting out in business. And you say, what do you mean? So I was a plumber mean? with trade skills, like literally quite good with you know hammers, wrenches, you know, those types of skills. And then I go into this world of internet marketing where it's like, I don't have any skills. Like apart from knowing how to turn a computer on is like, I didn't know how to run ads. I didn't know how to build a website. I don't know what code is. I didn't know how to do any of these things. And what I would have done in hindsight is go work at an agency for a year to actually learn this stuff because the gap between my skill set like of current into where I was going was just too big was way too big and the consequence of that is that I got in over my head numerous times, lost substantial money on things and just did really dumb things that could have been avoided and, you know, the next thing is, is you know, but you learned from it and all that stuff. I disagree because if I went and worked for someone for a year, I would have learned so much that I would have been go- able to go quicker after that year. Totally. Heaps quicker. So it's like, yes, I lost a year in employment, not that there's anything wrong with being unemployed, but the skills I would have been able to bring into starting my own business, I would have passed the guy I was who just went into business in the next 12 months easily, so, so easily. All right, I'm curious because I I can riff on this point, but I do have a question for you before I do. (laughs) What size business would you go in? So to use your ads agency as an example, would you go into like a really large ads agency that you were trying to achieve just to see what that looks like and operates at? 
Or would you go into something that's a bit smaller where you can go, oh, this is like step one, maybe step two kind of thing. Like I'm, I'm curious now like how you would approach this. Yeah, I would go for the size of business you want to build. Yeah. Because it's um, to the point is like running an agency of four people, the likely the owner of that business is doing things in the business. So they're probably still writing copy or doing ads or building sites or whatever it is. Where if you get to an agency that's like 20 plus people, the owner of that agency doesn't do anything technically. Yeah. Um, maybe sales or uh, relationships or something like that, but it's a different scope. And then going even bigger, it's like they potentially just do board meetings and strategic meetings. So if you went into an agency that was kind of not where you intended to go, I don't think you would see the dynamics in the same way where you want to see like, oh, this, so this is how the owner works with the team. This is what the team roles are. This is the skills everyone's required to have. This is who works with who. This is how you share things on Google Drive and Dropbox. Right, with Just all the things that I didn't necessarily um, – have exposure to in that way and then my finding is again in i have a lot of experience in agency world is just the development of relationships yep where you would then have people you can go to or potentially um people you've met along the way where that could be a really useful resource for you as you go deeper into this space also so i i did this well you went and worked at at an was it an agency or what was this i did i'll tell you the story so uh so it's weird so I studied at university, like my a major in entrepreneurship. I think it was like business or something like that. Yeah, you're anyway, definitely yeah. a major entrepreneur. <laughs> totally. I'm like, well, I got a certificate that says I am now. Uh, and then I opened my digital agency straight after for about a year and a half, maybe two years. <clears throat> and they're like, we did our, okay, like we were making, okay, revenue and doing all these things. I just could not get over a ceiling. And I said, I wonder what's going to be the greatest way for me to get over this. And so I did the thing. I went and found one of the sort of better and bigger SEO companies in Melbourne because I also wanted to step more into the SEO space. And I went and applied for a job. And I said, cool, here's my resume. I want to go and learn how to do SEO and essentially go and grow in your business. And during the interview, they're like, are you coming here just to learn everything so you can go start your own business? Because my resume was literally university, ran my own digital agency for two years and applying for an SEO job. And I'm like, no, dude. So I worked there and I had 65 people. And it was a great eye-opener of a lot of what not to do, but also a lot of like what to well, that, do. That's still great like, lessons, right? Still joke, great totally. lessons. And to this day, it's, there's still a joke that goes around my friends. I, I gave them, res, I resigned in uh, January and my resignation date was the end of June because I was going to Europe for like three months. It was like a six-month resignation. <laughs> Because I'm like, I knew exactly what I was there. You're like the best employee ever. <laughs> well, no, because I wa- like walked in for like six to eight months, then resigned <laughs> after that. Um, but no, like it was, did I manage one of the largest books there? Like I was, uh, I did very well. I learned a lot. Um, and I, I would argue that it was, a, it was a tough year. I learned a lot around what it felt like to be an employee, which I actually thought was probably the most valuable part around. Well, did it light the fire for your own thing even more? Well, it was really interesting seeing like and talking to sort of the people that I worked with around what they were struggling with, what they didn't like, what they did like and what motivated, seeing what motivated them, seeing how they operated as opposed to like how I mentally would operate and all those kind of things. Um, it, it was, it was we could do an entire episode on it. It was just so fascinating eye-opening. And then I left and basically uh, I didn't, I never took any IP and I, I thoroughly respect the business owner and stuff like that. But essentially, I went and opened my own sort of websites that I sold stuff through as opposed to like really pushing SEO as a service. 
Um, dude, it was it was a great great eye opener. So I, I can, and there's I so many like in I'm not going to say intangibles, but it's like it's not just like how to do SEO. You would learn in that environment. You mentioned a great one there. It's like the people. What motivates staff? How they work together? It's who goes into meetings. Yep. Like, Dude, all was like, these things you get to see and experience. Because I, I know this now. Even if I look back on my plumbing career, I worked in a variety of uh, plumbing businesses. If I was going to start a plumbing business today, I know what it looks like. Yeah, and that's and you the know power. the orgs. You know the orgs. And this was this was, that was the thing. Like I learned the org structure. What didn't work in the org structure, I saw the split out. And at the time, everybody was physical in one office. And so I could see how it worked. So then I could be like, oh, this is what a water cooler is and all these kind of things. And then I just apply that to the virtual world, which is like all my team worked virtually anyway. Um, this is way before the vid. Um, but yeah, I, I argue that it was one of the painstaking years that I had, but I learned a lot. And to draw a full circle on this, why I'm so uh, strong on this point, I probably lost the first couple of years in business just trialing and airing and losing money and having to do refunds and a whole bunch of stuff because I got in over my head. It was only when I joined a mastermind later and got to model other people's agencies, which shout out to Kim Barrett. I know you listen to this show where Ooh. I got to compare my agency to Kim's and a few other people that were in that group where it's like that's where I kind of got that learning because everything else was just working it out. So I could have, sh- yeah, just that would have been the one. All right. You got another one on this list here, Grant. I'm coming back around for you. What's your next All one? Right. <laughs> Brilliant. So you might have heard about people talking about this concept of like scale. Build your business to be prepared for scale, Charlie, because it is inevitable that you will need to scale. I'll roll with it. I've never heard that concept, but sure, you heard it. That's Brilliant. what matters. <laughs> So that was what was drummed into the back of my head is like, make sure you've got processes, make sure you've got team, make sure you've got everything, Charlie, for the entourage of clients that are going to come barreling through your front door just to make Wait, sure you provide I feel like service. we had very, very different experiences. <laughs> Where, like, Do you know what my experience was? What? Charlie, work out how to keep the lights on and food on the table. Right? That, that is literally like feet to fire, put food on table. You have a mortgage, work this shit out. No one was saying to me, ah, oh, build for scale, build processes, none of that. <laughs> this was, full stop, exactly, Charlie. That is exactly right. This is, <laughs> this is, you were doing the right thing. I was arguably, potentially not. And this leads me towards like the first thing. So I mastered the art and I'll put it out there. Good luck in anyone who wants to try and compete with me against like delivery and product. Like, no, I'll, like back, I'll back you on that. I really like you are an absolute master at that. Is one thing that I crush. The only downside is that is a skill set that only really comes into business when you're making like half a million, million bucks, maybe two million bucks a year, Charlie. Not when you're starting out. And so I had a team to deliver already. I had processes written out. They had they'd gone and go, already gone through training. Dude, I knew what the reports were going to look like. I knew how we we're going to do everything. And I'm like, come on, clients. Oh, wait. I need to learn how to sell. <laughs> Amazing. So, so here I am. I've got like this monthly burn going. I've got this great team. I've got this, oh, man, like if anyone looked in the processes, like this is a dream. I could literally copy and paste it anywhere. And then I had to go and like learn how to sell, how to network, how to reach out to people. And I'm like, oh, man, I totally went. If you were to use the kinks in the hose analogy, I went and unkicked like kink number nine to 50. And then I'm like, all right, let's get 
and unkinked number one and it's just going to go and I'm like, oh, man, I should have totally started with unkinking the sales hose first and then dealt with the rest later. You see this commonly even today, people that just continually focus on building their product but never develop marketing and sales skills and it ends up being the like holding back of the business because they never, if they can't ever market or sell, then they never bring in revenue and sales and profit to then reinvest and grow and they can like potentially just demise, might have a great product. I know many people with great products that never get off the ground because they can never get marketing and sales done. Totally. Well, and it was funny because it actually drove the way that I did networking where I would go and network with delivery people. So I'd go and network with like all the SEO and delivery guys. I'm like, oh man, this is not my type of people. And then all these agencies are crushing it and they've all got like this sales network that they're all catching up with and i'm like ah that side yep yep that that one so my one of the things that i would have done again is and i I argue that is probably the skill set that i think that every single business owner needs to have is the idea of sales because i think sales applies so well to like leadership it applies so well to negotiating deals with suppliers it obviously applies with selling people to bring them into the business partnerships etc i argue that the skill that i should have started with is not scalability, not delivery, not productization. It should have been sales just to get over that first speed hump. Once you're making a million bucks a year, sure. Like you then need to make sure that you can at least understand scalability and all those kind of things. But in my world, that's what I started with, unfortunately. Do you feel there's a balance to strike? Like where you need to be focused on both of these? Because you know, marketing and sales, and I'm putting them in one category. We'll talk about how to get – it's just really client acquisition. And then you've got the other side, which is like product and delivery, which is really just delivering whatever product or service you, you sell. It like uh, One could argue that it's like in your case to be purely focused on uh, delivery and product and no focus on marketing and sales, well, we can see why that didn't work. Would have to argue I've seen the other not work very well either. I would concur and I do concur, but the only downside is like the amount of people that were like me starting up business that just closed up shop and went being went to being an employee again is vastly higher than the people who could market and sell because they could still pay their way every single month. Me. Yeah. So at Wait, least if you can absolutely market Absolutely hard on it. Yeah. So if you can market and sell, you can generate revenue. And if you can generate revenue, you can generate profit. And you can live, at least pay rent, pay bills, pay all those kind of things off profit whilst you try and figure out the other thing. You will just hit a ceiling. So you will hit a ceiling where you're like, cool, uh, clients aren't happy, what we're delivering is not great, et cetera. But then it's like, cool, I'll just put my focus there as opposed to where I was, which was I've just invested six months, 12 months into building this delivery capability. And I was fortunate that I had a decent amount in the bank account. Um, now I've got to go out and learn how to sell and market in order to actually unlock this beast. And so I agree that there is, it then transitions into you needing to know both. But I think like if you have just a delivery skill set, you're never going to get off the ground. I feel like it needs to be 70-30 in the beginning. I feel like it, it needs to. to be 70% client acquisition, marketing and sales, and then 30% on product development and system and all of those things that go into that side of the equation. And then it probably shifts the deeper you go. The further you go into business, that ratio seems to almost flip. Yeah. If you, um, I think if you start hitting a million bucks in monthly revenue, especially in the software as a service space, like you have to hit this great productized delivery because that just brings people back. 
anyway, that was that was my biggest pain point, Charlie. Kings in hose, number one is sound and acquisition. I like it. So if Grant could go back in time and, you know, really do things over, more focus on marketing and sales in, the, in those early years particularly. Totally. All right. Just to make me feel not bad about myself, what about you? <laughs> What's another one that you would do different if you would start again? All right. Niche rhymes with rich for a reason. All right, expand. Expand. When I first got into business, I had this really fear-based, pessimistic mindset. Right, I did. And I'd just gone through like a really hard time in business where we weren't making money and I was like honestly concerned I was going to make it. I was like this could be the end. So the challenge was when anyone popped out who actually needed help uh, from anything we could do or even potentially do is I just said yes. Like I just said yes. And to paint a picture of this, you know, in the in the morning, I might be helping, you know, a, some a finance company with Facebook ads. Then at lunchtime, I'm doing business cards. Then in the afternoon, we might be building a website for e-commerce. Like this was wide. Basically, if it could be done on the internet, I would say yes to it. Internet guy. <laughs> Which is kind of the thing at the time, right? The internet was a, a new space from here, but it just created so many second order consequences that I was not prepared for. And I'll list a few of them out because for anyone who's potentially in this scenario right now, you're going to be feeling these pains. All right. So let's say in my example, I've got a website build, business cards, and then also ads for a finance company. It's like I didn't have enough work of any of these one things where I could hire a full-time person to help me because like the skill set was so wide, which meant that I was doing all of it. I was kind of jumping between all three of them and, and trying to work it out. But it also made like team efficiency a nightmare because I'd hire a yep. web developer, but then there's one site, but when that finished, he couldn't help me with the other tasks. He can't design business cards. So the team efficiencies were terrible and it made it really hard to hire because I just it was always like a, an awkward sized team. But then on the other side, it made it hard to market because – well, we did so many things that we just blended in with everything else. And then third to that is I actually feel like in many cases the quality of the works we did wasn't up to scratch compared to the companies that focused on it. So like for the person out there just building websites as an example, they've got a dedicated team, they've got great processes, they do it over and over again. Like they built better websites than us because it was always like a you know yep. duct tape approach to doing these things. And it's like – that slowed down my business so much because there was always spot fires to put out. It was always a problem that had to be fixed as a second-order consequence of the mess I created. Uh, I'd love to know how many people that were doing like internet marketing that ended up doing at least one set of business cards for someone because <laughs> I feel like that just all land on it. And funnily enough, I did the exact same thing that you did the only difference that I – so I came up against the same problem around full-time employee and so I just had a list of agencies offshore that I would send everything to and the problem was like that makes it even worse because you can't put pressure on delivery. It's, and then you're like I kid so you not, I did the same thing. <laughs> and then you'd, me and you'd message one, right? you message one and go, oh, hey, look, um, we'd love to do another website and then they'd say, oh, we don't do websites anymore because they yeah, were doing the changed, same thing. Like, they've got the – <laughs> <laughs> oh wow this is this is dangerous but it and it's funny crazy. because i then went the exact same way road. yeah because I, I went the same road and funnily enough 
I've coached many businesses and I've sat on boards of businesses before. And the biggest problem, even through scale, and it's it's such an easy one to pull in, is offering complementary services. And they just don't work. Like I always go, have you structured your business in a way where someone else can articulate the benefit that you provide? And if the answer is no, you're not niching enough. On because that then point, you have no word. Hold up, hold up on that point. If you're oh. Apple, complementary services and products, great idea because you have the resources to deliver it well. If you're Charlie with <laughs> a couple of people in the Philippines and you're not even doing one thing well, the idea of offering websites, business cards, Facebook ads, Google ads, like that makes no sense. Like that is a ridiculous concept in ideation. And it was exactly what we were doing. I always, I always love the comparisons that people pull in. It's like I just do it this way because McDonald's does, and like Apple does, and you're like, man, that's like the biggest extreme. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Apple's got a hundred billion in a bank account. Like, do whatever the hell they want, man. They can start a car company. But I, I align to this, and funnily enough, I've actually solved my revenue problems in the past by just niching and then putting a niche on a niche. It's like, this is too hard to sell. It's like, well, how do you make yourself more unique? How do you niche yourself even more? Second, niche yourself even more and just get known for that one thing. It's like, amazing. This is perfect. I'm, I'm wrapped with this. It's funny. Uh, the person who actually solved this for me was James Shremko. So my first encounter with James Shremko many, many years ago, he's like, dude, you look like you're doing all these things. You seem to be good at this ads thing and you like it and it's recurring revenue. Just do that. That's literally all he said. And I was like, if James thinks that, I'll just do ads. And business changed overnight. That was literally the defining moment that just, and we, we took off. Uh, don't you hate it? It's so simple. <laughs> the power <laughs> of hindsight, right? He, I dare say James had his own experience in that world, but that's why mentors and people that have walked the path that is so valuable in business. Totally. And this is one of the ones where you just, you don't need to check. like. Money doesn't buy happiness. I still think everybody should go and check. But like niching, just you don't need to check that just go a generalist works. No, it just doesn't. All right. Next points, Grant. Next points. All right. I'm going to start this one off with a question, Charlie. Yeah. Let's rewind the clock when you went back to business and started your business. So you started your business and you sit there going, this is all well and good. How long did it take you to go bring on like some kind of like an accountant or a bookkeeper to start providing you with your books, maybe monthly. How long did that take you? I'm in a bit of a unique circumstance on this one because yeah, I literally- wife like Yeah, my partner is an accountant and bookkeeper. But I will You're share fine. an interesting insight on this is that um, I was very, very lucky to have that resource in-house because it was very apparent to me how much I didn't know about finance. So the first so, few months in business, I manage my business by the bank account. Like if there's money in the bank account, it's going up, good. If it's going down, bad. And what I didn't understand is like, well, you can kind of cheat this and you manipulate it. So I just would like, okay, well, I'm not going to pay this bill because it keeps the bank account higher. Or when an annual expense comes out, you're like, oh, that hurt. That really, really hurt. And I actually messed up my finances in a huge way, even though I have an accountant and bookkeeper in-house, like technically in-house. So even though I had these resources, (laughs) I didn't necessarily develop the finance skills to go with it 
And that was a huge mistake in that light from there. But the point I would like to make on this, what was interesting is when I met other people that didn't have bookkeepers or accountants early on, they'd always complain about it. They'd always complain about their books and their accounting and it was a very, very challenging thing for them. What was your experience though? Because you're someone who, who didn't necessarily, you know, pick the right partner. Marry into a bookkeeper. That's great. That's, that's great. I appreciate it. And totally I'll pick my audience to ask my questions from next time. This is I set myself up on that one. <laughs> but to that point, uh, it took me way too long. Like I'm talking two years. So the way that I used to actually operate, it might have been actually a year and a half. I don't think it was too long, two years. I think I learned very quickly on that one where I would literally go and bang on a bookkeeper's door at the end of the financial year to go and get the compliance done to send it across to the tax accountant in order just to get the, just get a ticked. And the, the problem that I had was that personally I had a good amount of cash in a bank account, in my personal bank account, which meant that I never had to run the business from the business account. Like the business would kind of wash its own face really, but like I never felt the pain because I could still pay rent, I could still pay for bills, I could still invest in things, I could go out, I could do whatever I wanted because I had this decent bank account. (laughs) And it was just this false economy because I never had any feedback on whether or not the business was completely unprofitable, what products are actually doing well and all of these things until about, I call it about a year and a half into it. And I'm like, I need to fix this. And so then I did what I'm sure most people that I know have gone and done, which is just go and grab a bookkeeper off the shelf. (laughs) And me, I just went and outsourced it straight away. And so then it was just a compliance activity. So then I just made sure that they did it every quarter. And I'm like, well, have you uploaded the receipts and have you sent it to the tax account? Yep. All right, good. We're done. All right, good question for (laughs) you. And then it was... How long did it take you to work out that the bookkeeper's role isn't just compliance? And this is your accountant as well, right? That it's like their job isn't to just like, hey, make sure the ATO doesn't throw me in jail or get me to pay the least amount of tax. That they actually provide the most powerful set of reports and numbers that are critical to running a business well. It was the second time. It was second time around. So like between university and working at uh, this SEO company, that was the experience that I had run. And then when I went back into business, that's where I'm like, I need I need a scorecard. I need some way to look. Because again, around like the SEO office, you know, always have like the sales school boards and like that re- report on profits and all those things. I'm like, I need something better. And so it was almost like seeing something better and just talking to other people. And it's like, man, the only thing I look at is like financial reports to know if I'm doing good or not. I'm like, ah. So if yeah, you well, totaled that up, including the one year, it was like two and a half years or something like that. That was way too long. <laughs> so this is where it does it's get a- embarrassing, Grant, because this is the worst part. I guess I've mentioned I literally have an in-house accountant and bookkeeper. However, I only used her skills for the compliance and keep me out of trouble with the ATO. I would say for the first <laughs> couple of years because I was managing it via KPIs. I was like, oh, well, how many active clients do we totally. have? And it's like no, yeah. absolutely no insight of well, how profitable they are. No understanding of where yeah, we I, make money in any way, shape or form. Like it was only when I came across Keith Cunningham's work later on. I'm like, hey, baby, does this make sense to you? And she's like, yeah, of course. What have you been doing? <laughs> I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh my gosh. Finance. So to summarize I, this one. No, no, no summarizing. I want to steal this no, point okay. as well. I no, would no. say if I could go back in <laughs> time and do things differently, finance skills would move way higher up my list. Way higher. Totally. 
And that, yeah. So I'm like, if I could definitely do something again, do something differently, I would be putting in this a scoreboard. It's funny. You know what? The way I see my accountant, so I catch up with my, sorry, the way I see my bookkeeper, I catch up with my bookkeeper every single month and I catch up with the tax accountant probably once a quarter-ish at the moment. Every catch up with my bookkeeper is almost like an accountability session. Like he knows the exact goal that I need to hit every single month. And I'm like, mate, all you need to do is tell me why I've missed that goal if I miss that goal. He's like, easy. He's like, no worries. <laughs> every time I catch up with him, like, that's it. That is all I got. And I'm like, if I had that right back at the start, it would have been like, it probably would have been the best mentoring per se of like, or like accountability coach per se because I know I'm going to catch up with this guy and he knows what I want to achieve and I'm going to feel terrible every single time that I didn't make it. <laughs> it's, I'm just like, yeah. I wish that someone It's like the Apple Watch psychology, right? How many times do you hit your 10,000 steps because you got it on the watch? Or if you weigh yourself every day, yeah, how often do you, uh, you know, take more care of your weight if that's your thing? It's there's so many layers to why finance skills and accountability just become incredibly powerful in a business. The what gets what gets measured gets managed, kind of thing. And so yeah, and I'm just like, why the hell did I not do that earlier? Anyway, I uh, you got another one to make me feel again not so shit about myself. Yeah, we'll round this one out quickly. Um, this is a, just a more of a point as well at some reason well for some reason early on in business i came to the conclusion that instead of doing one business well that i needed more businesses so it's like you couldn't just have one successful business grant you would start another little side project or you do some other like other little venture so like example running the agency rather than just focusing on running the agency well we started building our own niche sites and it's like, well, it just seemed logical. We've got some of the skills, right? We'll start another business. And then it's like, oh, we could do some affiliate stuff. And I look back on that and that split focus and they call it um, second business syndrome. Cost yeah, me time and years. Yeah, absolutely did. And it was more – and I, I reflected on this and thought, why? It's because I didn't have the skills to drive the agency to the next level. So rather than developing myself, I got frustrated and just – pick something else or we'll start another business. I'm like, that's, I think, potentially dangerous and I would do that differently. It's, it's funny. See, I jumped at shiny objects, I think, for that part. I reckon, like, thinking through it now, so I reckon there would be three parts to it. So the first one, to your point, it was like, I think I hit a glass ceiling. I'm like, there must be a better leveraged, better profitable business elsewhere and I just got to find it. Second one is uh, cash in a bank account is bad. And the only thing that I had in my mind that I could invest in that I would back myself on was the business. So I'm like, well, I've just got cash here. I need to go and invest that in something else. And the, the thing that I know is business. So I just got to throw cash at the second business, which is like going back to my first point. Well, back to your first point. Right? Uh, but then the third one, exactly. Uh, but then the, the third one was diversification. Uh, well, what happens if the first one burns, Charlie? It's like, it's not that, well, Grant, you'll be able to get a business out of any mess that it gets into. It's like, well, the only only solution I got, Charlie, a second business or a third business. Yeah. So I found that very fascinating. Um, well, let's round this one out, Grant. Some powerful points on here. I hope the uh, listeners of this episode have chuckled along and also hopefully related. We're not the only <laughs> ones doing these things. So if you are in the Facebook group or on the <laughs> email, let us know what would you do differently. I would. I'd be very fascinated to know the different perspectives out there. 
Amen. I just want to say uh, thank you. And if you're not on the news- newsletter, head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter and put in your details and then you can hit reply to the email. just want to say thank you, Charlie. And we'll look forward to catching you all on the next episode of Business and Investing.